Hey everyone, before we get into this episode, I just want to say thank you to Philip for being a guest on the Devon Hour. We had an amazing conversation about his career, where he wants to take it in the future, his podcast, the Philae Speaks podcast, his show Flip Flop, and so much more. So I hope everyone enjoys this episode. I had a really good time recording it. For the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be highlighting some amazing queer black men creatives on this podcast so just stay tuned for the next couple weeks i think you're really going to enjoy what i have coming up next so yeah let's get into this episode Hey everybody, welcome to the Devon Hour. I'm your host Devin and today we have a very, very special guest, somebody who I have been following for a little bit, somebody who has also been very much vocal during these crazy, crazy times that we're in, Um, a producer, editor, writer, all that good stuff. Welcome, Philip, to the Devon Hour, aka Filet Films, that you might know him as on Twitter and Instagram. Welcome to the Devon Hour. What's up, Devin Hour people? I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on. Seeing you be so vocal on everything and seeing you be such a great representation of our community. And I was like, I need to get this dude on Devin Hour so we could talk about some things, but also highlight you as a creative and to talk about your creative process, uh, your projects, and all that other good stuff. So, I'm, as I said, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited. <laughs> so I'm excited. I hope your arm does not get tired from holding that damn microphone. You won't. The funny thing is, this actually came with the type of stand that yours had. Like, hold uh-huh. on. But I'm not the best with construction. So uh-huh. I was really struggling to put mine together. So that's why I'm <laughs> kind of crazy. But it's supposed to be dangling here, like, just like yours. <laughs> Um, I guess you got that for your podcast, the Philae Speaks podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes, which is great. And we're definitely going to get into because um, I heard your episode about racism and I was like, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> oh, that was definitely with the help of my sister. She is a genius <laughs> too. Shout out to her. I'm glad you liked that episode. Yes, that one and the recent one that you uploaded, the one about uh, sexuality and identity and stuff like that. It's also a really great episode as well, which is something that we are going to get into and something that we are going to discuss. But first, I kind of want to dig into uh, your mindset throughout the quarantine. How how's that been for you? So it's been up and down in ways. At first, it mm-hmm. started off kind of down because I was supposed to be starting a senior financial analyst role um, at Warner Brothers. And the day I got the offer, the next day was when the nation shut down on like mm. March 12th. So it was stressful at first, you know, before unemployment had the chance to hit because it was like, oh, my God, like this couldn't have been worse timing to be in between jobs. For real. I've been very grateful, actually, though, to be in that like unemployed place because I've gotten to create and put time towards fillet films nine to five, five to nine, just 24 seven. So it's really been a blessing. I've gotten way 
more progress in a lot of my creative projects and gotten to write more creative projects. So now there's different things and potential deals coming up and stuff like that that I'm excited about. And I think that quarantine really helped me. So it's sad that there've been a lot of debts for sure. But I've been trying to focus on, you know, the blessings that have come from the time also. Yeah, like I was telling all my friends and stuff that this is going to be the only time that we have that we're going to be able to ex- like be that creative and have time to ourselves. Because usually we're, yes. so, we're so stuck in the routine of like a nine to five or whatever we were doing prior to, to um, prior towards quarantine. So I'm grateful, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to soak up every bit of it. <laughs> no, for real. Like I was um, within my last semester of school and although i really wanted to like spend my last semester at school at school i said some shit needed to change and i'm happy this quarantine hit because it really it really gave me time to like reflect and appreciate my college experience whereas if i feel like if i kind of just went throughout the whole year i kind of just would have been an autopilot and kind of took it for granted for sure Um, so i'm happy that it happened and i'm happy that uh it gave me opportunity like you said to be creative for sure yeah for sure, for sure. Um, so, at, so let's dig into like your background. So, where did you grow up? I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, born and raised. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then I went to University of Michigan, which is forty-five minutes out. Mm-hmm. So, I for the first twenty-two years of my life lived in uh, Michigan. So, I when I graduated a couple months after, I moved to New York City, and I lived there for like one and a half years, and then. <laughs> um last your heart at the beginning yeah it, i after the first <laughs> six months i was over it once winter hit i was already planning for the la move because this was already really where i wanted to live but i'm grateful for that new york time because that's when i had my that's when i got my start in the film mm-hmm. kind of media and entertainment industry so my web series was my last nine months in 2018 in uh new york and then i moved here at the top of 2019, and I love LA. I definitely do. <laughs> what part of New York were you living in? I lived in Brooklyn, yeah, in Bushwick. Oh, girl. I liked, I liked Brooklyn, but I did wish I was on the other side of Broadway, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but I liked it. New York City, um, I live real close to New York City. I live in Jersey City. Mm. So New York, I know that city like the back of my hand. And honestly, I commend anybody that could live there for at least a year and survive. I mean, it, I literally didn't even make it a year without getting extremely sick of it. Like at first I loved it because I moved there in the summer. So, I mean, you know, during the you summer. You were having a good time. I was like, oh, life is great. And then the winter hit and I was like. I immediately started planning this move. <laughs> yeah, people are always shocked when, like, September hits and the temperature drops, like, 50 degrees, and people are like, um... Like, Ooh, <laughs> why am I here again? <laughs> yeah, New York is, is, an interesting, is an interesting place. I'm happy to live outside of the city. That's real. I get to enjoy the silence. Well, it's not really quiet over here, either. Hood-ass niggas around. <laughs> 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 I went I actually went on a podcast episode as a guest in I think it was Newark. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was like, okay, well, you know, we got the hood everywhere. So I enjoyed seeing what the Jersey Hood was giving. And we talked about it in the episode. It was kind of sad because the person, one of their 
relatives had just been like shot and killed right in front of their yeah. house. So that's why I brought that up to say that I definitely did hear that it gets it gets real in Jersey too. Mm. It was sad. It do get real in Jersey, but the best trade is over here too. So that's that's real. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. So how would you describe your younger self, little Philip? Little Philip, I would describe little Philip as kind of chaotic. Like how little are we talking? I would say from the ages of like eight to like twelve. I would say chaotic, like real smart, like all about getting all A's and everything. Like I would have all A's on my report card, but I would have bad citizenship. Like I was kind of restless in a way. (laughs) And so my behavior in some ways was not always the best, but like real just passionate about whatever I was passionate about. Like at that time it was school, roller coasters, track. I I was just very, very into whatever I was into, which is kind uh-huh. of the same as me now. Like, I channel a lot of that extreme passion into what I'm doing now in film. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say I always was, like, really, really driven by goals or whatever I was interested in at the time. So, I, I like the fact that you are incorporating your young, your youth. <laughs> yeah. That's your youth into your, into your stuff that you're doing now. Yeah, that's what I really, really wanted to do with Flip Flop. When I got that idea, yeah. it was important for me to pull parts of my past and parts of my story that kind of have made uh, me and definitely shaped my experience and even yeah. dealing with sexuality. Like, I didn't ever come out until after my 12 years of running track. So the show is almost a reimagining of, you know, what it would be like being put through that situation mm-hmm. while still running and being in the sports worlds. So when did you first uh, start having that creative bug? Honestly, I didn't start until I would say, oh, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say because I think that I suppressed and repressed the creative side of myself when I was a kid because in second grade and fourth grade at my elementary school, we did have school play where Mm -hmm. it was like my grade specifically. And I did play a star role in both of those. And I enjoyed that, but I just don't think I really, and I was in band and I don't really think I took creativity seriously because I saw being an artist as being somebody who can draw and color well. And I couldn't do any of that. I just don't have the hand-eye coordination, honestly. So I don't think I really took it seriously because I was more focused on sports in school. It was like, those were my big two. And so I even stopped band and I didn't really do much acting stuff other than maybe in an elective or something in high school. But when I quit the track team after my freshman year at uh, University of Michigan, I got involved in these runway fashion organizations on campus that had annual fashion shows. And Mm -hmm. so I got involved modeling with those and I really enjoyed that. And That, I think, started getting me there because then in my senior year, I served as the finance chair of uh, Noir Runway Fashion, which was kind of like the most elite one on campus. And even though I was finance chair, there was a team of only like 13 of us putting on this big show. So I got to have my hand in the creative pot, too. And that's when I really learned how much I loved creative production. So when I graduated at the end of the year, I just was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do to make sure that I'm doing something creative-wise as an adult? Because I think I had so much fun doing 
that work on that executive board that it didn't even feel like work. And so that really made me realize, okay, I've got to find something. But at the same time, I had recently gotten a notebook and was going through a breakup. And so I was just kind of writing, expressing myself. And somehow I think God just came into my head and told me that I wanted to do TV and film because when I look back at that first notebook I've ever had, first notebook I've ever written in, on the very first pages, I see myself talking about TV show ideas and just different creativity with that. And over the years, like it's crazy to be now 24 about to turn 25 and actually be real lifing the things I was talking about in that notebook. Cause I didn't know how I was gonna do it cause I had a business degree and I right. had a finance accounting background. So it's definitely been a fun, surprising road at every turn. <laughs> it's really interesting how things always come back. Yeah. Because I for sure definitely have felt that. When I started, I, uh, I was doing media, but then I went to theater because I thought that it would be a place for a dramatic bitch like me. But uh, I eventually came back to media. So it's really interesting how things always just comes right back. Yeah. So maybe we should start trusting our, our guts more. Exactly. <laughs> maybe. Definitely. Um, so how do you think that uh, the city of Detroit has influenced you into the person that you are now? I would say that one thing is Detroit is one of the blackest cities in America. I believe it's like 80% black. Mm -hmm. So I think that I just naturally was born with and raised with such an understanding, deep understanding of my blackness and just didn't reject or stray away from blackness. So I think that the black culture is one of the hugest things I take away from Detroit. And within black culture, there's so much passion and emotion in the art and stuff. So even when, like one of my favorite um, rappers is Big Sean, and I feel like he just has so much soul. Like he makes me feel something when I listen to his work and you know, Detroit had Motown and yep. just so much. So I think that I just, I feel like I bring a certain level of black soul, like just relentless black soul to my art. And that's one thing that's important to me, like not watering that down. Mm -hmm. So I would say that that would probably be the biggest thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause within the media industry, it's like, it is predominantly white. You do see a yeah. lot of white people in it. So it yeah. could be kind of hard to be black and learn how to like navigate through that, especially when we come from cities like a Detroit or like a, like a Brooklyn or Jersey city or yeah. whatever, like it could be very difficult to learn how to get through that. So how did you learn how to like navigate through, through being in that industry? Um, I think that I really focus. One of the things I think that helps me is that I focus on having fun kind of with whatever I'm doing. And part of that is surrounding myself with a lot of good energy. Yeah. Like from the beginning, I've been active with networking and like engaging in stuff through social media and just exchanging good vibes, supporting people. Also, you know, actively talking to people who support me. Like, so really building certain communities through social media has helped me a lot with navigating through the industry because I've met so many different people out in New York, LA, and even places that I haven't been yet. And mm -hmm. I think that having that love and support around me has really helped me 
to feel inspired and encouraged to go forward because, you know, I, I've never really focused on feeling like, you know, there's not support from here or not support from there because at every stage, even at the beginning when I had less of a following, like there were the certain people who were supporting and I focus on that love to keep me going forward. And I just focus on my goals and kind of the creative visions that I want to have come to fruition. Because a lot of the time being black and being gay in the media and entertainment industry, if you're doing a pitch or in a lot of situations, your sexuality is going to come up. Your race is going to come up, even though it would be great if it were just like, you know, only the art and only the business output is what's being focused on. But that's not the reality of it. But part of it has just been being comfortable with myself. Like, I don't really wake up and, you know... I think that one of the important quotes or ideas that I've heard and kind of reflected on is that, you know, there's two types of people a lot of the time you either, or like there's two ways you can be. You can either wake up and feel like it's a kind world or you can wake up and feel like it's a cruel world. And I think that the way I am, I've always kind of been an optimist in the way that I do focus on the little appreciations in every day. And so I just focus on the good energy because, you know, there's a lot of homophobia and racism out there. But in some ways, I just try to keep that far away from me and keep pursuing my goal. But with a show like Flip Flop, for example, I do then have to consider, okay, this is more of a, you know, it's more controversial. It's less of a thing that is already seen out there. But that even inspires me more because it's like there's more and more purpose behind. It makes me feel purpose in what I'm doing in a way. Because even being black and gay in the media media and entertainment industry is somewhat of a political statement and stuff in itself. Although it would be nice if it didn't have to be. I mean, I would prefer it if the world were so, you know, cool that I could literally just be an artist and not have to be a political statement. But it's not the reality in some ways. Yeah. So luckily, like, we do have, like, the internet now and we do have... uh, we have is, what is it called that they taught us? It's called like technological determinism. It's a fat ass word. I didn't. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really using my degree and putting my degree on for real. But, anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's like the world has gotten smaller due to this technology that we have due to social media, and so now we're able to connect with people that look like us. And yeah. before it was harder to do that because we didn't yeah. have so much of this, or social media wasn't as tight as it is now. Yeah, it really, when I was growing up, I felt like there weren't many black gay people around. Like in my, especially because, you know, I would either be at school or I would be at my sporting things. And in sports, I mean, there were not out black gay men or even boys around to point to and be like, you know what? I can just go ahead and be myself because look at him, him and him doing it. There wasn't that. There were, I'm sure, plenty of people in the closet, but when you aren't seeing people living that truth, it's harder. So that's why I'm grateful that things are progressing in a way. Like I feel like younger black gay men, you know, if they get to now be on social media in a way and stuff like that, I'm sure they're able to find each other maybe hopefully so that even if there aren't people right around them who are out, like are able to in some sense find a community together. Yeah. And there's power in numbers. Yeah, we work better together. And I think that the benefits, if 
one of the few benefits of us like being you know black and queer is that we we do have that ability to like create our own families mm-hmm. we have our own ability to create our own communities so yeah. we are able to lift each other up so that's definitely like amazing and visibility is so important people downplay visibility so much to me and, and so when you have your show the flip-flop show and seeing a cast full of black characters that's important because now people yeah. are saying like i look i could see myself in that so yeah, yeah the flip-flop show is definitely very much important um so we're definitely going to get into more of that because i got some questions about what some the first episode because there was some tea in that shit and i was like oh. <laughs> well i'm excited <laughs> to talk about it <laughs> So what was your first project created on uh, Filet Films? Uh, my first project was Black Sex in the... Well, okay, technically, right before there was Filet Films, there was Filet's World. Mm-hmm. It had an extra E at the end of Filet. And so <laughs> that was... A, it started out as a blog, and I was telling certain stories, but also there was certain different advice for, like, 20-somethings and stuff like that. That was for a few months. But then uh, about four months in, I started my YouTube channel, Mm-hmm. And at first I was just kind of making sporadic, like more youtube type of videos, you know, kind of like with a microphone talking to the camera about something. But then randomly, uh, I, one of the other, one of the multiple different type of like very sporadic segments I was doing within the first two months, I dropped one called Black Sex in the City. And the first episode people enjoyed. And luckily when we shot that one, we shot two. And the second episode was the one that really made the people who were following me at the time, like, we need more, we need more, bring us more of this. And that was the point when I was like, oh, shit, I did start all of this because in that notebook, I had realized that the entertainment and media industry, like it was, it really was pulling me in that way. And I was like, technically, I do want to be the creator and producer and actor and stuff in show visions and stuff. So I bought a camera, um, a little bit of lighting, and a mic, and I started creating those like on a rolling basis. So I did that for nine months, and Black Sex in the City is on YouTube now. There's yep. 16 episodes, two seasons, and that was my first. That was my first creative project, and by the end of it, I was like, okay, this was fun. This was a good opportunity to, you know, start making content and start. You know, just not only proving my talent to anybody else, but it really was kind of me proving my talent to myself because I had realized that I wanted to do that, I guess, because God had told me, but I didn't know if I was going to be any good in it. I just, I really had to just kind of put it out there and see, all right, well, how are people going to like the content? And it went well. So that first project wrapped up at the very end of 2018. I ended it so that I could move here because I wanted to be able to get some bigger creative visions off the ground and get into the industry nine to five in the long run. Yeah. How hard was it to like create the black sex in the city? Like you had to film it, you had to make sure it was edited properly. Like how hard was that process for you? So the funny thing about it is that the black sex in the city started about a month after, remember how I told you like about, Six months in, I was like, oh, my God, I hate New York. So the good thing was Black Sex in the City almost helped me to fall back in love with New York because I was pouring myself into the work. So Mm -hmm. I would say it was hard in the sense that I was working at Ralph Lauren in finance nine to five. So I was spending all of my hours outside of work 
working on either writing in it because the way that the process would go is I would write an episode and then I would start producing the episode. So mm-hmm. find whoever I could to play the roles, like whatever friends I could to play the role and find locations and schedule. Then we would shoot the episode sometimes on the weekend. Sometimes we would be able to fit some things in after work. Then I would be editing the episode, which is a very, very tedious process. I learned. Okay. And I, because I think from the beginning, my comedic eye was like very distinct. So it's like, I needed every little bit of timing to be perfect. Yep. So I would be on my train rides, my 50 minute ride from Bushwick up to 59th Street, Ralph Lauren. I would be the whole time editing on the way, editing on the way back. I would get home, eat dinner, and be editing until, like, my eyes were closing for sleep. But I was really, really enjoying it. So it didn't feel too, too hard. And then once I would start, once I would post that episode on YouTube and start marketing it, I'd be writing the next one. So I was just creating on a rolling basis for about nine months. And then there was also a mini series within there called Pretty Petty. So their total ended up being, like, 21 episodes that I made during that time and it was a lot of work it was a lot of time is what I can say (laughs) sure and um it also was hard because since I hadn't done anything prior I always was like you know kind of that nagging feeling of oh I'm annoying people like oh I don't want to ask too much of people and because you know it takes time to shoot and Mm -hmm. some of the people who were in it were aspiring actors and some weren't some were just friends who are like hey whatever let's just it's a youtube video whatever but it was like that balance of like i want to create this but i also you know don't want to be doing too much and so that was the harder part for me i think because i personally was willing to spend all of my time but you know it has to be a balance for real it really do and it's funny because like whenever you try to like incorporate your friends into things they always look at you like okay (laughs) right and it depends sometimes because like they some of them really did enjoy the acting some did but with some of them you could kind of tell it was like okay well glad we did that one but you know (laughs) i'm actually gonna stay in bed (laughs) Like you could just kind of tell, and there was no, there was no problem with it, because I was grateful for any time right. we did an episode, and I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> so, no, they're no, those are real ass friends for them to be like, okay, we're going to do it this one time. <laughs> real ass friends, knowing damn well they have, they want to do something else, but no, right? Because being on set, I don't think I ever knew before starting out doing anything in this industry that. Set is not some little cakewalk. It's not hell no. It's not, like it takes a while. You're doing multiple takes, multiple angles. It's mm. hot in there. It's just like oh my god. The lights. The light. Oh, oh um, my gosh. It's hard. It's a hard life. So. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a it's a hard ass industry to to it crack. Is. It is. Um, especially when you have like that vision. Or would you call would you call yourself like a perfectionist? Yes. And because I'm really, really meticulous. And even with having my finance background, it's kind of like I'm in some ways real formulaic while Mm -hmm. also spontaneous and creative. So there's like that balance because I also want every little part, like especially with Black Sex in the City, 
it was like those episodes they by the end were only six and a half minutes so it's like i didn't want there to be a down moment or a down right. like i wanted there to keep being opportunities for comedy because nobody is going to laugh at necessarily every single comedic thing mm-hmm. but when you throw enough of them in there so that there's this whole huge array of them then it's like you're guaranteed some laughs because even if they don't like this one then seven seconds later, boom, there we go. So Yeah, at least the energy was high. Yeah, you know? and so I was really pleased with how that ended up coming out, and editing it myself really helped with that because I the comedy I definitely enjoyed. I enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's talk about flip-flop. So, okay, are we getting a full season? Like, what's going on? Because that first episode, I was like, okay, I'm hooked because the shit was funny. <laughs> I'm happy you liked it. <laughs> so with Flip Flop, we had our uh, pilot screening premiere tour, which was like in a way part of the pitch package at the end of November and then through the um, middle of December. Mm-hmm. And so then we started more of the actual pitch process in around the end of January. And we actually were kind of in the middle of the pitch process when the pandemic happened. And right now I am in talks with like certain people like there's, I've just had situations where, you know, I've been assessing deals and opportunities that have come Mm -hmm. from Flip Flop and I haven't, or I won't say I haven't, I'll say in the past so far, I hadn't necessarily gotten one that I wanted to move all the way forward with. And there just were parts of it that, you know, we kind of had to make sure we were fully aligned. So um, Mm -hmm. we will be having a full season. I can't say exactly when it'll be because I definitely don't want to rush it because you know one thing about the industry is that you can get yourself into some type of contract where you know if you try to hurry up and get some quick money or do something yep. fast your idea is just you know in some way tarnished so you got to read the, that damn contract yes and just it be is, patient is vital so i'm trying to see exactly what we're going to have as the next steps and when they'll be but the good thing is that quarantine has given me a lot of uh, time to write and start developing other projects and so there's especially one um distribution platform and uh just one digital studio that i am i have to just choose one of my ideas right now with them because I'm getting signed on as a creator to a certain digital studio mm-hmm. and I need to decide on some things for exactly what project I want to move forward with them. And I can't say yet if it will end up being flip flop because there's another one that I feel really passionately about that I think might be the right one for that digital studio. So we've got to see, but I definitely have been happy to be able to in addition to Flip Flop, broaden our uh, array of projects that we're doing in addition to the Philly Speaks podcast like we talked about already and the Philly Films blog that I was able to start up that's kind of highlighting a lot of Black gay creatives and entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. There's a couple other comedies. There is a drama show I've written. I'm branching into the animation space with one project. Uh, additionally and there's a short film that we're then working towards hopefully a full film for so i'm kind of right now just trying to make sure business-wise to move everything forward in the smartest way including flip-flop so i'm excited with the progress there's been and 
I'm happy people have liked the trailers and yeah. the pilot and everything. I'm definitely happy about it. And there's going to be some exciting things coming for sure. That's awesome. I was definitely getting like a, a like an insecure vibe. Like, a, like Flip Flop gave me like a black insecure. And I was like, <laughs> uh, not black, a queer insecure. And I was like, oh, yes, we need that. Can somebody <laughs> sign this nigga on fast now? Like, I'm happy was, you liked it. I definitely yeah. wanted to bring, I think that what Flip Flop brought that Black Sex in the City didn't have as much of is I wanted to challenge myself a little bit to just in some ways make it a little bit more serious and still have that comedy there in organic ways. So I was hoping that that balance was good because in some ways, you know, I like Black Sex in the City in a different way than I like Flip Flop because I tried to do something a little bit different with the two. Mm -hmm. And then even one of the additional projects I have that's a new comedy, like it's kind of its own type of comedy. So I'm glad that you like it. Yeah, it was hilarious. Like you said, it was that balance. And also, it could seem like the cast had fun, like, while they were there. Like, it seemed like it was good energy amongst each other. So are you and that friend going to get together? I want to see, like, that plot line just continue, because I lived for every single moment of it. It was really good and it was yeah with yeah with that friend what i really wanted to get with that plot line is like for a lot of us whenever we came out whether it was you know younger like in our teens or Mm -hmm. whether we're more at college age for me i came out around i was 19 about to turn 20 and i wanted to capture what it's like to have that first portal into the gay world because we all have you know the first gay you know, friends or right. dating interests and stuff like that. So technically when I came out, I actually came out with a boyfriend, which was a little bit different, but <laughs> I, work. it was like, you know what? I'm in <laughs> love now. So let me just, let me just let some niggas know. <laughs> <laughs> work. But, but then after I got out of that relationship, which was right around the time I was graduating and I moved to New York, that was my first time really having gay friends. So mm-hmm. the, a lot of the inspiration for that part, it came from my experience coming out, but also my first experience coming out and having some gay friends when I moved to New York. And I want to capture like the complexity and how it gets, it yeah. gets messy, it gets complicated. And so, yeah, but it like also that's... is necessary because it makes you feel like, you know, you have some sense of community. So I'm excited for that character to like play that role. Yeah, just like in the in the pilot where you were with that girl, <laughs> and then you're like, "Well, I don't even know." Like, like you're, you're just like, "It is what it is." <laughs> so I like that. I live for that because it's it's real, it's honest. Like a lot of people, you know, they're still trying to figure themselves out, and they're not going to necessarily just pinpoint themselves to just being one thing because you don't know. And one of the things that I really did like was you were saying like, "I I just don't know," and that's fine. Yeah, that was the big thing, I think, about that character. In some ways, I have less talking lines in Flip Flop's pilot than I do, for instance, in Black Sex in the City. Mm -hmm. And it's partly because that character is so in his head during the pilot with the techno... Oh, I'm sorry. With the techno conversion therapy malfunctioning and everything (laughs) kind of getting blown up in his face, like he doesn't even... He can't even process everything enough to even know what to say at that moment. 
because he barely even knows who he is at that right. moment. So I wanted to capture that just like lost deer in the headlights kind of with that character. So yeah, when I came out, I was young. I was like 12, 13. I'm jealous. Yeah. So I like it, it must be, I just can't imagine like the other side of being an adult and have, and coming out, you know, it just really like coming into yourself like later in life. Whereas I was in high school, just being the, the fruitiest bitch ever. Like it was just, <laughs> <laughs> just the That's gayest a- bitch. Walking in the hallways. <laughs> That's blessed because, yeah, it definitely was one of my biggest fears was getting to the end of life and being like, dang, yeah, I didn't live my truth. And for what? I'm about to be dead. And that was, <laughs> I had such a big fear of dying before I came out. That was like a significant thing for me. I was like, oh my God, like, I'll just be dead. And for what? <laughs> I did not want that. And I feel in some ways I have a lot of sadness for adults who get, you know, to, you know, over 30 or over 40 or over 50 and haven't come out, which a lot of people in our parents' generation more so have that experience where, you know, they might be so old and it's like it was too taboo to be able to live that truth. Yeah. I don't, I just would never want, I don't want anybody to really have to go through that. So that's why I hope that flip-flop and having representation of our people on screen with not just my projects, but other people's projects, since, you know, gay is becoming more and more acceptable. It's becoming more and more, you know, allowed on TV. It's gradual. It's a gradual process. Yes. Not, you know, uh, oh, okay. Now there's as much gay representation as everything else. It's not like that, but I'm glad that there is more because even when I was younger, I had no idea what Noah's Ark was. Like, I think it was more underground. <laughs> I feel like, you know, gay things had to be more underground. It's yeah. like come more like to the forefront and not have to be something that you have to know a very specific thing for or to get to. Like when you have things like Pose and now Legendary, and stuff right on HBO Max and wherever Pose is shown and shows like that, that's necessary because they're not hidden away. It's like they're right on these platforms. Yeah, when I tell you that I <laughs> I think I'm one of the few people who are going to be open and honest about it, I did not like Noah's Ark at all. Oh. <laughs> I, I honestly have not yet seen it because I didn't, I didn't learn what it even was until I started it was sometime after I started doing this when, of course, then people would, you know, kind of compare what I did to Noah's Ark and be like, oh, it's nice to have, you know, more black gay men making things because we miss Noah's Ark. <laughs> and that's where I started hearing about it. And I still need to watch it. I saw that they said there's two seasons, right? Yes, yes. I need to, I need to binge watch those two seasons and see. But then you didn't enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just be honest about that no, one. That's, oh, real, that's real. Art is subjective. Even if you didn't <laughs> it, be like, you know, art is completely subjective. Like, I won't But I, I do think for a lot of, like, black gay men, I think it was, like, the times. Like, for sure, there was definitely nothing like it on television. Yeah, um, so I guess it's that nostalgia factor for them. But I mm-hmm. guess for me, being a young queen and, you know, coming up when there were a little bit better representation of our community, um, and then now we have Pose, which is like 
one of the first shows I actually like dedicated myself to actually watching. Uh, so I'm just kind of looking at Noah's Ark like, okay. <laughs> that's, that's real. <laughs> I, res- I respect the history for sure, but I was just like, yeah, it's cute, but it, it could be, it could be better. <laughs> I'm gonna have to check it out. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna keep that on this episode. I ain't gonna say it out loud. I ain't gonna say the shit on Twitter. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah, They're gonna chew my ass up. I won't tell nobody. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's it's great. Like like I said early on, like visibility is so important. Like it is so important that we have more shows out there. And the fact, like I said, you had a black cast, which is still something that is hard to to have nowadays. Like it's yeah. so hard to have that solid black cast because every other show that has like black queer people in it, it's gonna include like a white partner. Like I know you've seen um Hollywood. Have you seen yeah. Hollywood? I, I haven't did. I didn't watch the show, but I didn't want you liked it? I did. I did really enjoy it. But as for what you're saying about white partners in shows, that is something that for me, I mean, and this might also just be part of the Detroit in me, like it I didn't even have to have a second thought about having a black cast when I was in New York with Black Sex in the City because yeah. one, I'm not somebody who has any friends who aren't black. It just I don't feel like I can relate. Like I'm a cancer and I have to really be able to relate to somebody on such a deeply spiritual level. You're a cancer? Yeah. Like what did you think I was? <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> I was thinking more like Aries fire sign. You're Ooh. a cancer. That's funny because I do, I'm a right. Do you know like about rising and moon and stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a rising Sagittarius. So that's probably why I gave that. Ooh. I'm so a Leo. I, so, oh, you're a Leo? Okay. Yeah. All right. So you get the fire. Yeah. That's why I think I don't give off like crybaby cancer, even though I'm a, I'm a rise. No, I'm a sun and moon cancer. So oh my gosh, a lot of it there, but that rising Sagittarius, I think just makes me so free spirited that I just, it just be whatever. <laughs> There's a cancer somewhere in my, um, in my list on my co-star and, uh, yeah, I just kind of just wish that cancer wasn't there because it jumps right out. It jumps. Dang. Those signs will come at you at like the worst times for real. Yeah, I'm definitely a very cancer. Like, I love some water. I love some nature. I like being in my bubble. And I have a big heart, but I also like distance and space in ways if it's necessary. Like, I, yeah, I definitely got that balance. But the Sagittarius in me is why I like to move off state to state. (laughs) But what I was saying was that for me, having an all-black ass was that was a no-brainer, especially yeah, yeah. when it came to Black Sex in the City. It was like, I didn't even have, there wasn't even a thought in my head of a character that wouldn't be Black. And then because for me, in my real life, I have never dated or anything with any man who is not Black. Yeah. So um, I definitely want there to be representation of Black-on-Black gay love in the media because you know even a lot of people who become famous and rich you know a lot of them are kind of the black gays who will have white husbands and boyfriends and every single one i'll just be like (laughs) literally 
literally oh. every single one. I feel I feel like once you get into Hollywood, there is a package that's delivered to your door and a white man's included. So yeah. I don't I don't get it. I'm like all these fine ass beautiful black queer men in Hollywood, and yet y'all decide to go. There's nothing wrong with genuine love, genuine interracial love, but it's like every single one of y'all. I only like <laughs> niggas, and that's just never gonna change. Like, and I think a lot of it at some points ends up having to do with when some of these people get to a different, yeah, financially. It's like they'll, I don't know if they want to just date white or not black because black people, you know, don't have as much money and they want to date in their money class, but that that's not that is not something that I like about. That's definitely something I dislike about Hollywood. It's like, mm, people really be trying it with these white spouses. Like, I'm No, sorry. like, dead ass. Like, today, Raven Simone just, she announced it, like, she got married. I saw that. And was a white woman, and I was like, oh, oh. I, and it's like, you know, I'm happy for people when they're in love. Yeah. Anytime I see a black person drop their non-black relationship or spouse, I'm just looking at the screen like, that's, that's cute for you, I guess. Yeah, like, okay. I'm like, dang, you couldn't find nobody black. Like, oof. But, yeah. So <laughs> I'm very passionate about there being black-on-black black love. Interracial yeah. love is not necessary for every damn production in Hollywood. It's, it's not. Nah, like, like, it was cute, like, the first couple times I saw it. But then I kind of feel like, in a sense... It's kind of like erasure. So, like, yeah. they're going to try to put in the most amount of white people that they can. And mm -hmm. as long as they got that one black person, or that one black queer person in the show, then, okay, we're meeting the quota. But right. no, like, if you're going to tell stories and if you're going to tell the story of a black queer person, like, at least one of y'all have them with the black queer individual because we tend to date within our proxemics, right? Yeah. So, and the reality for a lot of Black queer people is that we're dating other Black queer individuals. So the fact yes. that we're not seeing that as as often as we should is we like need, we need to be seeing it on screen. Like, yeah. One thing I love that Insecure did, which is kind of petty, but they had both Issa and Molly leave their white jobs, and now they're only working in Black spaces. So it's like, in some ways, there was erasure of white cast members. Like, it's an all-black cast now, except for Andrew. But, like, <laughs> they erased the white people out of the cast through the storyline. And yeah. that's iconic. Like, they're doing <laughs> great, and it's all-black people. And Andrew, he's black enough. We'll give it to him, even though he might be damn near gone now anyway, because he and Molly didn't. I mean, I never thought they were going to last. Come on now. Molly wanted a nigga. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and that's just that. And that's where it's at. It and is. That's period. It is. <laughs> so let's talk about your podcast, Philly Speaks Podcast. What made you want to start that? So actually, I got the inspiration or the encouragement from my mom. She has her own podcast, Authentically Detroit, that she does with a, um, I guess, young black man, in Detroit so and they got on to like a radio station now so they're doing well and she loved podcasting and she had kind of mentioned it to me before and I think mm -hmm. that people had kind of mentioned it to me before but I wasn't exactly sure yet what I would want to discuss and everything right. you know I just needed to 
figure out details. And also I barely had time when working nine to five and doing everything for the shows. It was like, when am I going to fit in time? But at the beginning of the pandemic, I was really in a negative headspace for the first like two weeks when I didn't know if unemployment was going to hit. It was like, oh my God, am I, I going to have to leave LA? Like, oh my God, it was, it was a little bit rough. And people but, still asking for rent and shit. Right. I'm like, what the fuck? This, <laughs> what? what are we going to do? But luckily the, the stimulus money came through, but my mom, she is the one who I talk to on the phone the most. Well, I mean, her, my dad, my stepmom, there's a few, but she saw me, especially in the trenches and like how I kind of pulled myself out. And because I have a certain way of thinking that is kind of able to bring positivity and like just inspiration and light to whatever is going on, even when I'm in a dark space, she was like, I think that it'll be good for you to talk through things and that'll be a good way for people to engage with you because podcasting is a great way to give people, you know, sort of a gateway into your mind and your personality in a way that a lot of other things can't do. Yeah. And so I, I realized that I was like, you know what, I'm sitting here and I have this platform now with a good amount of followers and stuff like that. And I was like, I have some positive things I can say and helpful things I can say. And there's limitless um, helpful topics and stuff like that that I could discuss and that's why I kept it open and just left the name as Philly Speaks Podcast because I didn't want there to be any limit in what I could discuss because right. I realized that you know I when I talk to my friends and family it's like I do kind of think deeply into situations and have I think good insights and views on things and thoughts that can help and do kind of help myself or others close to me to work through their lives. So I was like, this, you know, this is a low stress way to be able to spread some love. Yeah. So I ended up starting it. The first episode was finding purpose in your struggle. And I talked through, you know, a lot of the struggles that I think that we go through on a daily basis in ways like last year, my best friend passed away from suicide. And so I got to have like a big mental health discussion on that episode because it May was mental health month too. And I got to talk through just coping with death and breakups and also the pandemic and how we could utilize the struggle of the pandemic to find purpose through it and create through it and be able to come out on the other side of it more fulfilled and happy. So I've been I've definitely been grateful for the podcast. Yeah, for sure. And it's another way to get content out, especially in this content demanding ass world that, that there is. Yeah. So that's awesome. And you know, was it hard to like, like, cause it's like, there's so many different podcasts that address the issues that like me and you address on yeah. here, which is like, which racism, sexuality or whatever. So how do you think that your podcast stands out in comparison to, to others? I think that one thing is that I like to bring on people from my life, just whether it's a family member or friend who just have a refreshing take on whatever is being discussed. Mm -hmm. Like my sister came on to talk about combating racism in 2020. And part of the magic of the podcast, I think is not just me, but the guests, because yeah. she, she majored in political science at the University of Michigan. And my family is very passionate politically and like, oh my God, even just going to Christmas dinner, it's like, it becomes whole political, like loud conversations of everybody kind of yelling at each other to make sure they're getting heard. And it was really good to be able to bring my sister on because I really think highly of the way that my family, like I think the part of why my views are able to be 
good and the correct ones is because it's kind of how I was raised in a way. Like my mom was the guest on the first episode and she's been running nonprofits from the time I was born, even before I was born. So it's like, not only were we from Detroit, but she, her job has always been engaging with the community and helping the community. Like, so any conversation we ever were having, it's like, I always had the right people in my ear kind of. So I like to be able to talk with those people and have them share their views on the podcast. And then even like my friend Travis was on the Finding Pride in Your Sexuality episode four. And it was really good to be able to have him come on because he was able to educate people about some things that I don't think they necessarily already all knew about because like I know that people who follow him on Twitter and stuff when he dropped his pride flags like the gender fluid one and the asexual one especially the asexual one that really raised questions and people said like people were like wait what does this mean you're asexual but attracted to women and he was able to explain that it is about the emotional connection and when he feels that that is what then will attract him to the women and so because I think that I surround myself with Um, deep thinkers because I really like to be challenged mentally and I like people who stimulate me mentally that helps the podcast because anybody who I bring on is gonna like really help people to think about things in a way that even helps me think I'm on the other side listening like oh shit oh that point (laughs) oh yeah so I think it's it's nice to be able to balance like the inspiration with also the education that some people are able to bring to the table Yes. Uh, what other topics do you want to explore on the on the podcast? One of the next ones I wanted to do, um, I don't know, because I had one in mind, like two of my best friends and I were going to record one about adult friendships because we are all now this year 25. And we all three of us in that um, best friend circle live in different cities. And, you know, we all dealt with the passing of that other friend. And I kind of wanted to talk about, and then especially when you think about this season of Insecure and how friendship is really something that I think is so important for each one of us. So I wanted us to be able to talk through some things regarding adult friendships and different things that come up, whether it's the distance or other things like mixing business with friendship and stuff like that. But I don't know. I really have to, because my birthday is coming up, I'm going to have like, a couple of weeks, like after, if I do record that episode this weekend, there's going to be a couple of weeks until I do another one. So I have to sit down and do a brainstorming session because I want to start my 25th year of life with some good topics. So, <laughs> so yes. excited. Have you ever thought about like delving into like pop culture and stuff? Um, In some ways, I, I'm interested in it in some ways, but I kind of hit on it in each episode sometimes through the this week on Twitter portion. And we Mm -hmm. talk about whatever some of the biggest things going on on Twitter are. And a lot of the time, I make sure to have at least one or two of those bullet points be something in pop culture. I would have to think, I guess that that is a consideration. Like I'm pretty much open to talking about anything. So that I think that in general, I'm going to look at that whole realm of things and see what I could talk about within that because I want to have some good topics. I want to keep it going. I want it to keep being weekly because I have had a fun time with it. And I like making like a fun little song to play at the beginning of the episodes. (laughs) So I definitely enjoy the podcasting. (laughs) Yeah, just be careful with pop culture, though, because that shit could get so 
draining, especially since we're like both so active on Twitter and we see yeah. see that shit so much. So, well, speaking of Twitter, you have a massive following on Twitter, sir. So how did that come about? It has come about, let me think, what is this year, 2020? When did I even start doing all of this? It's the end of 2018. Yeah. I mean, it's just been a lot of consistent content, like just pushing content out. Also, I'm, I feel like I'm different than some of the people with followings in the way that like, I'm very willing to follow and engage like a large amount of people because yeah. I think that now I have like over 25,000, but I also follow over 8,000 because when people follow me, I'm like, well, I'm going to, you know, a lot of the time it's like, I'm going to follow back and I'm going to talk back for me. It's, I think that because I just stay humble in some ways and I'm like entertaining, but also still just like, you know, personable and friendly, like you can talk to, I think that that ends up making people somewhat gravitate towards the stuff because I just, I enjoy, I've met so many people. Now I'm glad we got connected. I enjoy all the connections I make on social media. Like it's a lot of, like I talked about earlier, it's a lot of surrounding myself with the love. And so I really love Twitter because it's a lot of love. Like I don't have a lot of debates and negativity or drama. Yeah. You like have a that. pretty clean Twitter. I honestly didn't even start get because I had been really, really chill on it. But when everything started coming up with Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, it started to really bring out something in me. And I was getting a little bit more combative at times because I was getting a little more. I was I was pretty angry when you know, <laughs> everything was first going down. But I've gotten yeah. myself back to the point where it's like, you know, people can have a viewpoint that. I completely disagree with and I can just scroll right on past because that's what I do to keep Twitter just calmer like I don't engage and all that stuff because I'm like oh this is a business page I can't be having this following <laughs> and be doing too much like so I do try to keep it under control <laughs> yeah because there's sometimes I saw I was what tweet did you tweet the other day and I was like oh he went in little low-key Sometimes it randomly jumps out, and I'd be like, oh, Phil. I look back on it, and I'm like, ooh, which one was it? I forgot. I forgot, but I remember looking at it, and I was like, oh, <laughs> period. It does come out at times. <laughs> like, I try not to let it, though, because I don't want to – I don't want to be, like, bold and combative and stuff like that, but – Sometimes but, you have to let these bitches know, okay? Sometimes. Sometimes. You got to gather them. Right. <laughs> And since we're in quarantine, I think that we all have more time for Twitter than usually. So it's like you in with Black Lives Matter going on and there being, you know, the coons afloat, you really have to you okay. really dive in. Like the people like the B Simones and stuff like that, I've really just been having a really having to try to just keep myself. I've been trying to pay her because it's just been nonsense. How you write a book and you didn't you didn't even write the book? Why write the book? Oh, and you know why? Money. But right, mm -mm, girl, you really could have kept that little obituary pamphlet. But uh, <laughs> but also, as like content creators, how could you be confident releasing something that's not your content? I wouldn't feel good about that shit. I like feel horrible. Like you're the manifest queen, but your team made the manifest book off of other Google. People. Google searches, so I don't know. I don't know. This man, she might have to let the whole manifest side of everything go. Like, if you want to 
repackage your little AliExpress lipsticks, then just do it. But don't tell a nigga shit about manifesting. You scamifesting at this point. Okay. Like, at this point, that's what it is. It's kind of cutting corners. When I saw the help on one of her movies that inspired her, I said, are you dead ass? Like, was that, <laughs> that was your choice? The help? The help? Yeah, that's not um, that's not my cup of tea. She's the help didn't inspire me. It just made me more mad. Like <laughs> it just got me angry. Like the help, the they literally the black lady in that literally said that she wishes she didn't even make it. So oh yeah. I'll <laughs> I'm trying to stay, you know, uh-huh. People are afloat. People be out of line, out of character, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay because we're gonna keep fighting the power with this social media. Yeah. Have you been? Um, it makes a big difference. Social media is helpful in the fight of activism. You know, something they yeah. did a lot of years ago, and, and yeah. And like I said earlier, it's like we are living in this world where the world is now closer than ever. So now we are able to reach out to those in other states, other countries and stuff. And we get to, you know, bounce ideas off each other and see how what you're going through is 100% similar to what I'm going through. So that's definitely have played a part within the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. And we outnumber the police. We outnumber the government. That is just the way that the world works. And yeah. that's part of why things are changing in governments and the police force and stuff. That's part of why some of the yes. justice being served because it's like, we outnumber you all. So part of their way of, cause you know, government and police are meant to control the masses. And if you want to control us and keep us under control and not go into full fledged rebellion against you, you're going to have to give us some of what we want because you know that there's way more of us than you and we're going to keep demanding it. Yeah. So, and it's but, just like, as a person, as a as an officer that we you're supposed to serve the people, you're supposed to kind of like be visible, but also like know your community. I feel like a lot of these cops do not know their communities at all. So they kind of just base people off of like stereotypes and, you know, prior knowledge of what they heard from other people. But like you don't you don't know your community. It's just, yeah. it's just it's things like that. So many things that these cops are just 100 percent just getting wrong. And I don't think a PowerPoint in <laughs> a PowerPoint in uh, I don't know on this stuff is going to help them. But this real wow. life experience of being verbally attacked and mm-hmm. uh, being read for filth and protesting and stuff is going to give them a quick lesson in what the fuck to not to do in the future. You have to be in their face with it, and that's yeah. why I supported the looting because part of how you get in the face of the capitalists is affecting their money. So I 100% supported the looting yeah, because that is how you get them to listen. So shit, I wish niggas were still looting because that was really getting them to listen. They had to, they had no choice. I was waiting for that target by my house to get cracked in so I could steal me an iPad Pro or some shit. Period. I need some. <laughs> like, dang. I don't know what we doing over here by my house. Right. It's, it's just the whole country is nice to see um, that everybody's coming together on this one specific topic. But, you know, it's unveiling a whole bunch of other topics yeah. that we have been just sleeping under the rug. So not only are we dealing with Black Lives Matter, we're also addressing all Black lives, including trans oh. lives, queer lives, like 
so many other issues and that's how you know it's like a domino effect and everything is connected so when people try to tell us to focus on one thing we can't because this is a prime example of we can't focus on this one thing because now it's affecting a bunch of other things as well it is we can't focus on just black lives matter when black people are murdering lgbtq black lives that's when it becomes all black lives matter Mm -hmm. black trans women are being murdered at a way disproportionate rate than others by the black communities nothing about it and like it's just like their lives are just are just useless like it's just it's so sad i saw a tweet saying that trans people going into the world and leaving their home as themselves is a protest in itself and that's sad and i think about that a lot of the time because it shouldn't have to be that way it shouldn't have to be that going outside is such a thing that affects other people that you have to be making a political statement and hope that on that day you're not going to piss off the wrong person or rub the wrong person the wrong way and have them want to jump you like the one who Ayana, is yeah. a fender bender or just whatever else. Like it's it's definitely sad. And, and having that weight on your shoulders. Yeah, and they're very brave. They're some of the bravest people out here. And a lot of the trans people who I've met have been the kindest individuals I've ever met because you have to, I'm sure, dig so deep for love and self-love in order to even be comfortable being yourself every day. So I have a lot of empathy for them because they go through it on a daily basis. And even having to, like, deal with the trauma of the world being so against you just for existing like it's literally it's existing so they don't have to do shit but exist to <laughs> piss people off like, right walk into a store get a fucking fudge round and then it's a damn issue like i don't get it like i i don't understand the the hatred like and us being queer people and especially for the queer for the trans community like we are so we're put down so much we have no choice but to look up and see what the fuck is really going on it's right. like like you're sitting in the back seat of a bus and you're just watching all the nut shit just happen in front of you and you're just like <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. So it's just so shout out to the trans community. I I've always been such an advocate because you know I have trans people in my family um, and I see the issues that they had to deal with and the and just the discrimination that they had to deal with. And so I'm always going to fight especially for our black trans sisters because there's no reason why black trans women like the misogyny is just whoop it's terrible it's terrible and it comes from somewhat of a place of self-hate even within the and insecurity within a lot of the black straight men because i feel and white supremacy yeah and because people feel guilty for even liking the trans people it's so sad like you'll hire them as prostitutes and things but then want to kill them because it's like oh am i gay and oh, am I gay? Because I like, like, they're just so uneducated on the topic. Yeah. That it ends up costing trans individuals their lives. Yeah. And that's something we also need to address, like, the black trans, not black trans men, but just men in general, black men in general. Like, they're at the front lines of this community and have been absolutely fucking useless. Like, cisgendered heterosexual men have been absolutely useless. You guys want to be at the front of this community, right? Like, but yet you can't even defend the people that you're supposed to be backing. Like, that is so... Like, I'm sorry, but I did not like J. Cole coming out and trying to go off on No Name and then, oh, his 
apology, which wasn't an apology. No, his explanation was, oh, well, I don't read books and I'm not fit to be on the front lines, but I stand with not liking her tone. And as, as he creates a passive aggressive song himself. So let's talk about your tone, Mr. Cole. Like, Meanwhile, you spoke to me like you're a lord and what people will defend you on is that your raps make people think and you're supposed to be like, you know, woke or whatever else. When it's right. like, mm, so it's all just a facade for you to get some money. Like you're just trying to use that angle for what? Because clearly you are misogynist in ways if this... It, that was that ridiculous. that is a whole tap ass nigga if I've ever seen one. Okay. That that whole incident oh so my gosh. supportive of the community when it's like only in certain ways you're supporting the community, like black straight men and straight black women if they were black women if they won't, you know, get in your way or be too loud or be too yeah. about something or be too smart. Yeah, and like you said, his whole allure is based off him being this woke individual. But yet, so there's been plenty of examples. So this is why I always tell people, you know, be careful as to who you're standing. Make sure you're standing the right person. Because he has, this is not the first time he has shown misogyny. There's so many lyrics in his music prior where it has just been misogynistic or displayed misogynoir, like... This man has literally told you who he was. So this is this wasn't a shock to me because I was like, oh, but I thought we been knew this about him. Right. But like it was just so it was so ignorant checking a black woman in this time, in this day and age, on their tone when your tone is passive fucking aggressive. How dare you? That's, and that's privilege. And that's also what I didn't like about what B. Simone had to say when all the protests were going on. And she was like, oh, well, I'm just trying to look to God because I don't want to look like an angry black woman. Basically saying, I guess, that the protesters looked like angry black women? Like, what? You know how God just be sitting up there minding his business and he gets brought into shit? That <laughs> oh, Yeah, oh, like, is that a Nene, like, little video? That, like, yep. Uh-huh, I get brought into it. <laughs> Mind his damn business. Minding his business. Like, God was a protester himself. Jesus was protesting himself. Like, what are you saying? But we're expecting a woman who obviously don't know how to write a book to read a book? Okay, no. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, girl, you really just... Oh. Yeah, there's, a, there's so much shit that's going on in the world. Celebrity culture is definitely changing because... People want people to be smart. People want smart. Like, if you're going to have a platform, people want you to be able to be a leader and be smart. Exactly. And so that's why I'm like, a lot of people are, you know, upset about cancel culture or whatever else. I won't even call it cancel culture, but I 100% am in support of every single human being being held accountable. Yeah. have, and if you want to have this following and you want to make all that money, you have a certain responsibility to everybody like you should be as a human conscious of the fact that part of your responsibility is spreading love yeah spreading you know all the positivity that you can but you know a lot of narcissistic people who are more so self-focused i guess you could say got into those positions and now you know we're seeing the public hold them accountable and i'm 100 percent in support of that because 
what business do you have speaking to millions if during a time like this, you can't even be in support fully of black lives and you care more about capitalism than you do someone's life who was taken. You know exactly. I'm like I will stop listening to your music or whatever it is completely and have no problem doing it. I just will. Yeah. So. No, that's, that's 100% facts. And there's been a lot of people saying like, you shouldn't expect your, your faves or your, these celebrities to have a political viewer for them to speak out on it. But when you have that massive platform, you have a social responsibility to talk on these issues. And also, I've always been one to, to, like, uh, to want my celebrities to have a perspective. I've always been that type because if I'm going to give my money to you, I want to make sure that your mind is in the right space. Yes, exactly. So it's just, it's just it's a lot going on in the world. But luckily, like I said, there are more topics. And like you said, there's more topics being put out there and people are discussing it more. And hopefully that, that brings us together. Yeah, the pandemic and everybody being home, it's made it so that, you know, George Floyd getting more, George Floyd getting murdered, we were forced to all sit here. And even especially white people were forced to have to be like, oh, okay, well, now that I'm not at work every day, oh, shit, so this is what it's like to be on the front lines? <laughs> right. Actually going on, this is what people are upset about. This like, is it's, what it's like to not have a job, to struggle, to pay rent, like. Yeah, that's why I'm like, the pandemic has created an opportunity for all of these issues to come to surface and for things to have to be, like, there's been a certain awakening in 2020. The 2020 vision, like my friend Travis told me, he was like, the 2020 vision is real. Because there yep. have been awakenings in many ways. Yes. There Some, yeah. Somebody said, you can't cancel the year that woke you the fuck up. And right. I said, love that. And that's so true. Like, this year has been shitty and very consistently shitty. But yeah. it has also woke everybody up. Like, there were certain things that I experienced in high school and in college that I didn't see or didn't recognize as racism or queer phobia or homophobia until I had time to really sit here and think about it and watch how other people were discussing racism and homophobia and all that stuff. And I'm like, damn, like this is the world that we're living in. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's so many different things that's just now coming to light for me. And I'm assuming for you too, that you're just like, wow, fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a lot of time to sit here and because a lot of the time, you know, I'm not necessarily somebody, to be honest, who watches the news all the time. Yeah. It stresses me out. So I do get a lot of my news from Twitter. You know, that's just the day and age we live in. And before the pandemic, we weren't necessarily getting, you know, the level of just important news that we're getting right now all the time. There, All these important discussions weren't necessarily going on all the time. So a lot of us weren't necessarily discussing all the things we're discussing right now as much as we are now like we weren't in the past before the pandemic you know we were just running off doing whatever we had to for our lives and when it came up we would and now we've gotten here and really had a chance to sit in it again and be like day after day okay let me open my phone up what's gonna be the tea today like it's a little less pop culture and a lot more like history class right now yes and some people are just failing. Like, you're failing history class right now. That's really what's going on with some of these people. I can't wait to see how the history books is going to paint this picture in about 10 years. Yeah. I can't wait. Because I'm pretty sure it's, going, it's not going to acknowledge that this is some of the stupidest times that we're living in currently. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So, in conclusion, I just want to know, like, what is your goals for the next couple of years? Like, what do you plan on? 
have what do you want to happen for yourself in the next couple of years what i really want to happen is even like by the end of this pandemic i want to be fully self-sustainable on my creative business like i want to not have to work in finance anymore yeah full-time in the entertainment and media industry on the creative side so i want to be the creator and producer and writer actor and director and everything of like flip-flop and some of my other show ideas i also have like just all the creative projects i'm doing i want to just be able to continue to do them continue to reach more people and be able to do it full-time because you know i've been doing um all this stuff for free for a couple of years like it's my passion for me nothing is doing something for like some quick buck or anything like that because any i really really want to be able to spread as much love and spread as much just joy and entertainment as i can so part of that is through being able to release a full season of flip-flop and other things so that's really really what i want for myself yes i'm excited um, i'm so happy that you took your time out to come on the devon hour we got into some things i'm excited to see yeah, this episode did. back i am too i am too <laughs> i'm really gonna i'm glad we did this this is always gonna be fun to listen back on that's what yes. i love podcast episodes yeah i'm so excited so thank you once again for coming on to the devon hour now tell everybody where they can find you how they can support you you can find me on Instagram at Philae, that's P-H-I-L-A-Y-E, Twitter at Philae Films, so Philae and Films, um, PhileeFilms.com, um, YouTube, Philae Films, and you can support by just following, just hit me up, let me know if you check out any of the work, I respond to like literally every message because it just is how I am, so just check out the work and if you enjoy it let a friend know and just kind of let word of mouth pull people in. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. And thank you for having me on the Devon hour today. This has been fun. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, everybody support the LGBTQ, the black LGBTQ creatives. I want to leave y'all with that support all of them support every single one that comes on this podcast. They're all amazing. I absolutely do adore the work that you do. And I absolutely do love like the the work you do your tweets and everything because i'm thoroughly entertained so i'm excited to have this connection here with with me now so yeah i'm let's excited just, i'm ready to get let's ready to see what you're working on so yeah thank you everybody for listening to the devon hour thank you so much to philip for coming on to the show and yeah see you next time 